We've been talking about witnessing, right? And there are some questions I asked my students today. And I, I want to ask you these questions tonight. And I believe that these questions are very important. And, and I was talking about today powerlessness how it seems to, to me that today our churches have no power. Our people have no power. Seems like we give up soon as adversity comes. And, you know, and so I ask these questions, and I want to ask you these questions tonight. I, I, one of the questions I ask is, why is it um, that we make such poor progress in our Christian life? That's for question number one. Number two, why do I have so little victory over sin? Why do I win so few souls to Christ and then why do I grow so slowly into the likeness or into the image of Jesus Christ those are some very important questions saints because I want to let you know something that you are part of something very powerful and that is called the church you and I, at one point in our lives, we accepted Jesus Christ. Our lives were transformed. Our lives were changed. And yet, it seems to me, when I ask these questions today, a lot of my students were answering. So let me, let me ask you today, why do we have so little victory over sin today? Come on, somebody in. Let's talk a little bit tonight, and you can pass the mic around. We'll, we'll take all the answers we can, because I want to I hear from you tonight. I think part of the, the, the issue with most of us, and I know it was the issue with myself, was totally surrendering. Uh, we still want to hold on to some of that, 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 that worldly uh, belief, instead of believing totally in the promises of God and what he says to believe in. So I think the majority of it is just totally, totally surrendering. Total yeah. All right. So, one, so the reason that we, one of the reasons we got today is why do we not have the victory over sin is because of total surrender. Okay. All right. Um, I believe that we hear scripture, we know scripture, but we don't apply scripture. So we hear scripture, we know scripture, but we don't apply, don't apply the scripture. Okay, all right. Anybody else? Some people are afraid of standing out from other people, so instead of them leading and not doing sin, they submit and start doing sin with other people. Like They're like followers. They can't function without someone being there around them. They have to be in this 
sinful environment because they feel like they have no choice. Or they, they know they have a choice, but they would rather be around people that live in sin versus doing things that are holy. Pass the mic. Pass the mic. See if we can pass the mic. I think um, people just don't want to leave that world alone. They, they, they don't want to what? Leave the um, worldly stuff. Leave alone. the worldly stuff. Okay. They're scared. All right. So, They're so scared, they, right? They turn their life over to Christ. Uh-huh. I know for me it's, it's like if I sin and I turn my life over to Christ, I mean, I'm letting them down. Not okay. only him, my pastor, my church family, so. Okay, all right. Just shut it off and then pass it. All right, Sister Sarah, pass it to Sarah. Boy, y'all got so comfortable, y'all don't want to move on. Pass that over there for me, please. That's fine, Leah, just keep it this way. That's fine, yeah. Yes, some people don't think that they have victory over sin. And then a lot of churches, not calling it sin these days, they're calling it something else. And a lot of them are not teaching scripture, they're teaching prosperity. Okay. And so my question is, what happens to the churches that are teaching the scripture? Huh? Okay. So if there's a lot of false teachings out here, why is it that the church that's doing all the right things, not totally, but trying to do all the right things, why is those churches, you know, why are they having the hardest time, you know, struggling to keep the doors open, uh, keep people in the seats, uh, you know, and, and here it is now. It's, the question was, why do I have so little victory over sin? I like what my mom said. We don't actually know that we have the victory over it. Um, sin, I, the sin that I struggle with, uh, at times when affliction comes, I fall back. I fall back into mm -hmm. that familiar behavior, right. pull back from people. Um, I just don't know that I have the victory. I haven't stood firm on the word. And um, I guess what you're feeding us, I have to allow it to really penetrate my heart. Right. And I just really have to not listen to my mind and take me back. Mm -hmm. Or oh, your flesh. Yeah, my flesh. Right? Amen. Amen. You can listen to your mind, but you have the mind, because you have the mind of Christ now. All right, so you got to remember something. There are a lot of things about you that have changed the moment that you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right? Uh, you have the mind of Christ. You have the Holy Spirit, right? You have the Word of God. Last week we did a scenario where we were talking about testimonies. And I want to tell you, your testimonies really blessed me and has helped a lot of people. Go ahead. Listening to just walking in and hearing it, I believe that because there's so much progression, people don't stop and meditate in the word a lot. They just hear, they read it, move <laughs> right on, and then we're we're so busy with the other churches trying to keep up with the churches, not understanding mm. that they're not getting the real teaching. Right. They're just getting this prosperity. They're getting the uh, the choirs and all right. that. Entertainment. We lose out. We lose out. We we we're we're, we're compromising. Uh, 
divine instructions for entertainment, right? We're, we're trading it off, right? And so the, the next question was, you know, why do I win so few souls to Christ? That was the next question I asked my class today. And now all of your answers are correct. But the answer to all of these questions is the neglect of prayer. <laughs> and so, you know, that's what I'm teaching in my class, right? I'm teaching at the seminary right now, and Thursday night I'll, 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 you know, I'll teach it again, but we neglect prayer. Uh, we become very prayerless. So in, so in other words, we become powerless. That was the question for the congregation. But here's the questions that I had for the ministers. Why is it that many ministers today are asking that, or asking this question, why do I see so little fruit, fruit from my ministry? Why are there so few conversions? Why does my church grow so slowly? Can I tell you, that's been a question of mine. Why is our church growing so, we have, how many would say we have a good church? We used to have a great church. How many would say we have sound teaching? How many would say that uh, being around the other believers in the church is not a chore. It's you enjoy being around each other, right? Fellowship. How many of you can feel the genuine love? Right? But yet, we are still not winning souls to Christ. Right? Yet, it seems like we're stuck at a certain number and we cannot move any further or we're not moving f further. So the question I have, I said, I figure I'll survey you. What do you think is causing this? If we have all the right things, see, it might. I'm curious. If we have all the right things, and yet we're not seeing the results, then what's wrong? I believe it's an individual relationship. Um, through study of God's word and application of God's word, like Sister said, there's something that happens, growth happens. And with growth comes confidence. And a lot of us lack the confidence because what the devil does, the devil is constantly trying to trip us up, whether it's in um, whatever sin we may be struggling with. It uh, may be doubt. It may be fear. It may be, um, you know, lack of uh, spiritual confidence. Uh, the devil is always throwing stuff at us 
that we not worthy or we not good enough. And to believe that really is a sin. But we struggle with that simply because, like you say, our prayer life is not up to par. Our study life, uh, studying the word of God, because the word of God is power. You know, I feel I fall guilty of that. Um, and the application of the word. See, we, we hear it, but every day should be a growing, um, some type of, show some type of growth in what we've heard previously. Right. You so, know, so that we're not just hearers of the word and not doers of the word, right? right. So we're like, because that's kind of how you can become. Go to James for me. James chapter 1. And I, I believe, and here's what I believe about this. I believe this is the reason why most of us struggle. James chapter 1, it's a powerful passage. I'll start off with the beginning, at the beginning. I'll start off with verse 1. It says, James, a bondservant of God, and of our Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Now, let me give you the background to this passage. First of all, James saw himself as a bondservant. In other words, he saw himself as a servant of Christ, uh, the circumstance that he found himself in, he found himself in a situation where they were persecuting Christians. They were literally, uh, this is what happened, Nero had burnt down Rome and blamed the Christians. So I believe another, another, another thing that happens to believers is that we don't know how to handle persecution. I believe that our expectation sometimes, and whenever you get determined about winning souls, you got to remember that oppositions will arise. Are you with me? And oftentimes what happens to people is that, or most Christians I should say, they don't know how to handle persecution. James is writing to these Christians, look what it says, to the 12 tribes who've been, who are dispersed abroad. That's what that means. They were dispersed all over this region because Nero was looking, if you were a Christian, you were dead. You was good as dead. And so he writes to them to encourage them, right? Now, now watch what he says. He, he writes to them to tell them, amen, that it's going to be all right. Now watch the text. The text says, he says, consider it all joy. Now, I don't know about you, but the last time I was persecuted, I had a hard time seeing joy in what I was going through. 
But the word consider in the Greek means to govern, to think, to think straight is what it means. Have you ever driven a truck or a car with a governor on it? All right. A governor is what they use on these trucks so that they won't go over a certain amount of miles. Uh, miles per hour. So, so if you, you can press on that gas, you can do you can press it all the way down. It's only going to go to 50. It ain't going to go no further. All right? So what, what James is trying to say to these persecuted Christians, he says, what I want you to do, I don't want you to stop witnessing. Because witnessing has to become a way of life. Are you with me? Everywhere you go, your witness And that's what we're going to talk about tonight as far as your testimony. Your testimony is on display every single day of your life. Are you with me? Your testimony is being seen and heard by the way you respond, by the way you react to your children, to your husband, to your spouse. Your testimony speaks volumes. But especially... When you encounter, there it is, various trials. He says, I want you to consider, I want you to govern your thinking. I want you to consider it all joy. Now, here's the thing. Why would I think joyously when I'm facing trials? I mean, I'm just saying, that seems to me like a, like a, like a paradox, an oxymoron. It seems like, man, why would I even think about joy in the midst of a trial? Well, the thing about it is, as a believer, you and I know something that others don't know. We know that God has brought us through other trials. Come on, somebody. You see, and what happens to us is that when persecution comes as a result of our faith, sometimes you're being persecuted because Satan knows that you're about to go witness to somebody. And he messes up your whole demeanor. He messes up your mindset. He messes you up. And and guess what? He puts you in a prayer. I don't want to talk to nobody today. And that person that you could have led to Christ is the very person that you missed that opportunity, see? So I believe that we have to learn how to handle persecution, trials. Look what he says. He says, I want you to consider it all joy when you encounter what? Various trials. Now, the word various, the Greek word is makarios. And the word makarios means multicolor. So in other words, what he's saying is, I want you to consider it all joy when you are surrounded by multicolored trials. You know, when the, when the, when the light bill turned from pink to, from yellow to pink, it's problems. <laughs> they come to shut it off. I promise you, they're going to shut it off real soon. And each trials come up differently. 
And oftentimes what happens is what we don't realize is that we're being persecuted because of who we are. And that's why he says, listen, don't allow the trials to cause you to mess up your testimony. Many of us are not growing because we're so focused on the trial that we abandon the process of our growth. We allow the trials to shape us. We would rather trust the trial than trust God. Watch the text. The text says, knowing what? <laughs> hold on a minute, hold on a minute. Hold. See, I told you that as Christians, you got to know something. And here's what you got to know. You got to know that it's a test. That's what you got to know. It, from now on, you have to treat every trial as a test. I heard something the other day in a movie we watched. When the professor is given the exam, does he talk? <laughs> and sometimes in the midst of the trials, you're asking God for help, but God says this is exam time. And you're not going to hear from him. So he says, the test, he said, knowing this, that it's a test. Hold on a minute. See, so contextually now, I'm looking at this passage, I'm like, oh man, so hold on a minute. I went off for no reason? <laughs> well, I guess I failed that test. See, he says it's a test. Watch this. So that you can have, come on somebody, a what? No, come on, a what? The only way that you can have a testimony is if you pass the test. He says, knowing that the testing of your what? Faith produces what? See, what God wants you to do is to get ready for this marathon. Come on, somebody. We're not running a relay. We're running a what? Marathon. And oftentimes, that's what happens to us as believers. We give up in the race. We, we, we fall short because, because of the trials that we're going through. But you got to remember, God wants you to have endurance. Your faith, when it's tested, is so that it will produce endurance. Watch this. You will never get strong if you have no resistance. Come on, somebody. When you're lifting weights, right? What is it? Resistance. The more you lift, the more you lift. Come on, somebody. Yeah, Satan throws this multicolored trials at you. This bill is due. That bill is due. Children acting up. Wife acting up. Husband acting up. Situation, the pipe bursts outside. And you're saying, man, what is really going on? And we blame the devil, but we got to stop blaming the devil. And we got to get up and lift those weights. Push against it. Lift it. 
Let your faith do the lifting. He says the testing of your faith. See, what you got to realize, when you reach a certain point in your faith walk, here comes a test. And what God is trying to do is to move you from where you are. Some of us, we become comfortable right where we are in our faith. And it's just when you become comfortable is when God brings the test. And now the test comes so that you can push against it with your faith and move past that level of faith to another level. Are you with me? See, I believe that the only way that you can become concerned for others, hmm, is if you really are truly, truly in your heart converted. Truly. Because the bottom line is, we are all selfish. Why would I even want to think about a sinner? See, you know you're saved when you want somebody else to have what you have. See? You really know you're saved when you care enough. Listen, there are people that are doing all kinds of creative things. They, they love their church to the point where they go out of the way to get people to their church because they have experienced something like never before. The question is, have you had that experience? Watch this. Watch what James says. James says, and let endurance have its what? Perfect results. So that you may be what? Perfect and complete what? Lacking in what? Nothing. But if any of you, now let me say this. He says, stop avoiding your test. Because all you're doing is setting yourself up for a retest. Anybody here tonight feel stuck spiritually? <laughs> Seriously, you, you, you've, you've, listen, you've taken that same test over and over and over again. You've taken that test before. But yet you're still failing that test. God says, don't, don't you, don't you, aren't you, don't you see it? I want to move you to another level. Amen? Watch what he says. He says, let endurance have its perfect way, perfect results, so that you may be what? Perfect, that word perfect means mature. And what? Complete, lacking in what? Nothing. But if, anyone, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him do what? See, that's the problem. You know, I found it pretty interesting that he would put wisdom after the trial. And I, and I believe that James was, was in this type of mind, frame of mind. He's saying, look, listen, the only way that you're going to make it through what you're going through 
you need wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to make right decisions. And sometimes we don't have wisdom. We don't, we don't know what the wise thing is to do. But he says if you lack wisdom, and it's real important that we learn and we understand where we are in our wisdom levels. If you don't know, ask. He says if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Look at how God gives. Who gives to all what? Generously and without what? Reproach and it will be given to him. Verse 6, but he must ask. He must ask. There are a lot of dynamics here working, right? First of all, you got to remember it's a test. Second of all, you got to govern your mind. You got to put a governor on your mind so that your mind does not stray too far off base. So you got to put a governor on it. That's what the word consider means. Put some restrictions on your mind so it doesn't lead you astray. He says, he says, but the next thing you're going to do, you're going to gain is endurance. You need endurance. Endurance is what keeps you going. Some of us, we just want to run. And we just want to keep on running, but you're going to run out of gas. So what I want to say to you tonight is you got to pace yourself. And let endurance have its perfect results because you're going to pass this test. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to pass this test. Look what he says next. He says, but then what you're going to need in this journey is you're going to need a little wisdom. Now, let me ask you something. Where do you get wisdom from? God. Lord, help me to know what to do and how to do it. Because I don't know what the world I'm doing. You follow what I'm saying? Now watch this now. Watch what he says. He says, and God will give to him what? Generously and without reproach. But there's a, this is what I call a conditional promise. Now there are a lot of us asking God for stuff, but we're not asking him for the right stuff. We're asking him to pay this and do this and do that. But if you start asking him for wisdom, then wisdom is better than money. That's what the proverb writer says. As a matter of fact, the proverb writer says, use all your money to obtain wisdom and you'll be richer. Ain't that something? Use all of it to buy wisdom because wisdom is more valuable than money. Are you with me? Now watch what he says. He says, he says, but um, when you ask, you got to ask in what? In what? Without any what? <laughs> and you're saying, well, Pastor, God ain't hearing my prayer. I done prayed and I done prayed and I done prayed and I done prayed. Don't you not know that in you there's doubt, there's doubt, there's doubt, there's doubt. You're not even believing what you're praying. You're just praying just to pray. Remember, it's in the context of what? Various trials. So I have all these trials around me. 
See, I, the reason I'm going here tonight is because this is what I want you to understand about when you become a person who wants to win souls, you will be faced with trials. But you got to know how to handle it. You got to know how to handle it. You got to know how to pray. You can't pray and doubt at the same time. It don't work. Look what he says. He says, he says but he must, verse 6, but he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Watch this, watch verse 7. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive what? Don't expect nothing from God if you're asking him and doubting at the same time because the Bible says in verse 8, being a double-minded man, unstable, what? Amen? Now, I want to keep reading. Look what it says down here in verse 12. Blessed is the man who does what? What does he do? For once he's been what? See, there's an approval process. And the trials that you may be facing because you want to open your mouth and tell somebody about your church and about your Lord, it's an approval process. Blessed, now I don't understand this now. When I read this stuff, I'm like, I don't see joy in trials. I don't see that. I don't see blessings in being persecuted. But the Lord instructs us on how to respond. Look what he says. He says, once he's been approved, he will receive what? The crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who what? Look at verse 13. Let no one say when he's tempted, what? I'm being tempted by what? By God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So we got to stop saying the Lord did this, or the Lord that did that, or the Lord caused this to happen. God doesn't, to put God and evil in the same sentence is a sin. Because he's holy. He says, no, 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 that's not the case. He says, listen, here's what the real deal is. Verse 14. Here's, here's what the real deal is. But each one <laughs> is what? Tempted when he is what? Carried away and enticed by what? His own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to what? See, this is what you have to do. You have to abort the lust before it gives birth to a monster. So for instance, you're thinking something, right? You start you know, because it always start, it, it starts at mission control, which is the heart, the mind. And then you start, you start, the lust start, you know, 
And lust doesn't always have to be sex. All right, because we lust for a lot of other things. He says, when lust is conceived, you got to abort that seed before it takes root in your heart. Are you with me? Now remember, we're still talking about trials. We're still talking about trials, and he's he's still telling us that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And he will give him what? Generously and without reproach. But let him ask by what? Faith without, without doubting. Because if he doubts, he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But then he moves on and says, listen, when you fall, quit blaming God. Quit saying it was God that did that and take ownership for your lust. Look what he says. Look what he says. He says, he says, now listen now. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth what? Death. May I say something to you? It's a sin to worry. And when you plant that seed every day, you know what, Satan, some of you, I've watched Satan take your joy. I really, really, I've, I've watched him. I watched him just snatched it from you, just took your joy because of your various trials. Don't let him take your joy no more. Stand firm and understand it's a test. It's a test that you're going through. But thank God you know the one who wrote the test. Thank God you know the one who has the answer sheet. But you got to have the faith to believe, watch this, that God is going to do it for you. But don't allow the lust of your heart to cause you to forfeit the next level. Oh, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching tonight. I'm teaching some deep stuff tonight. You got to catch it. You will forfeit the next level because you've given in to the sin or the lust. And when it's conceived, it brings forth the end result to negativity is what? Death. The end result of worry is death. Stuff always dies when you allow it to play out. This, you ever feel like, a, like you're in a dead end street? You ever feel that way? You ever feel like you're going nowhere? Come on, somebody. I know, I know I'm talking to you tonight. That's because that street that you're on is the wrong street. <laughs> because lust has conceived and it has brought forth death. So you can't see anything. Now, I said all that to go down to verse 19. <laughs> I said all that to say this. I was trying to get to this. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be what? Slow to speak and slow to what? 
For the anger of man does not what? Achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in what? In humility. Do what? Receive the what? The word implanted, which is able to do what? Save your soul. This is why you need a word. The word will rescue you. But it's how you receive it is very important. He said with humility. But here's what he goes on to say. He says, now, but prove yourself. Ah, this is all I've been trying to get to say. He says, prove yourself what? See, what you have to do is take that scripture, write it in an index card, and walk around with it all day and say, Lord, I'm going to do this. You said it's a test. I want to get a testimony out of this. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to apply this to my life today. He says, prove yourself what? Doers of the word and not merely what? Who does what? Who what? Who deludes them what? Themselves. Having become what? What does it say next? For if anyone is a what? Hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at himself, his natural face, in the what? In the mirror, for once he has what? Looked at himself and gone away, he, he has what? Immediately, see, this is what happens to us. This is why we can't, this is why we don't, when we start acting out, we don't know what we look like. Like, dang, is that me? Did I, did I say that stuff? Did, I mean, seriously, you know, because, because you're hearing the word, but you're not applying the word. And if you're not doing the word, now let me say this to you. Uh, the, more, the more you learn, the more you're responsible for. But not only that, but you got to remember, now you become a high target for Satan. The more you know, the more Satan is going to come after you. But the more you got to stand on God's word. And here's the thing, now that you do know the word, you can overcome that, whatever it is. And so we have to be doers, not just hearers. Now, if you go to your, your, your notes, uh, page six, I said all that to say that. <laughs> Do the word. Live the word. And when you start living the word of God, people are going to be attracted to you. They're going to want to know, man, how did you make it through that? So we've been talking about your personal story. I want to look at Paul's life. Go to Acts chapter 22. Paul's life before Christ. Acts chapter 22. 
Now, one thing I learned about Paul through Scripture is that Paul would always, every time Paul went somewhere, and this is what I want you to get into the habit of doing, he would share his testimony. He would like literally share his testimony. He'd be like, okay, y'all, let me tell you what happened to me. (laughs) So here Paul is, he's before the Jews. And here he is now. He says, brethren and fathers, hear my defense. Now that word defense is where we get the word apologetics from. The word apologetics does not mean to apologize It means to defend your faith. May I say this to you? How many of you can defend your faith against a Jehovah Witness? A Mormon? A Hindu? A Muslim? Can you tell me why you believe what you believe? Why do you believe what you believe? Matter of fact, why do you even come to church? See, and what Paul was doing here, he was giving a defense, apologetics. He was defending his faith as to why he believed what he believed. Let's look at it. He says, uh, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them, In the Hebrew dialect, they became even more what? Quiet. So when you give your testimony, make sure you speak the language that other people are speaking. Amen. So that you can see sometimes we get saved and we get so sanctified and we get so lost that we lose touch with reality. And we lose touch with people. And people are like, because all you say is praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. They see you coming. Now, you know what gave Peter away? You know when Jesus was being persecuted and when he was being spit on? You know what what Peter was? Peter was in the courtyard warming himself. And a young lady saw him and said, hey, aren't you, didn't you be used to be a disciple? And Peter said, no, not me. She said, yeah, I, I know you used to be a disciple. Yes, she, she, this is what she said. Because even the way you talk gives you away. You know what Peter did after that? He cussed. He cussed to prove that he was not a believer. The question I have for you is, are you just blending in? Are you just blending in? Does this... Does does any of this, is it real to you? Can you defend your faith? Can you stand up for what's right? For what you believe? It's a good question. Because when persecution comes, I gave you what to do, right? The next time you face a persecution, you got to say, oh man, this is a test. Lord, I need some wisdom here. Amen. Lord, Lord, I'm asking, I'm not doubting, I'm not going to be double-minded today. Listen, because I'm about to tell my story. I'm not going to cuss, but I'm going to tell my story. So here's Paul. He, now, 
let's just, let me just tell you about Paul. Paul was a persecutor of Christians. And isn't it interesting that God would take the person that was so against him and then call him to be for him. And then he had the passion to go out and win souls. The question is, what is it going to take for the vision church to become passionate about winning people to Christ? Listen, it's more than just being in this church. It's about winning souls to Jesus and then bringing them back so that we can disciple them, teach them, grow them up so that they can go out and do the same thing. But remember the fishless fishermen? I've been teaching you in this workshop on how to fish. Hopefully after this workshop you'll start fishing. Matter of fact, some of you can go fishing now. Watch the text. Text says that when he starts speaking in the Hebrew dialect, uh, they became even more quiet, and he said, "I am the Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up under up in the city, educated under Gamil, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God." See, this is the question. Which God are you zealous for? Uh, What's his name? Morgan Freeman says he's on a quest to find God. And he's looking at all the major religions, but all he has to do is look to Jesus. How is it that all his life he's been searching for God and he hadn't found it? Hello, somebody. How many true people, believers, have truly witnessed to him? Think about that for a minute. He went to Lakewood. That's all I got to say. To get an answer about who God is. Well, God is good. Amen. I'm not going to say, I'm going to stay there. See, all of us have been born, all of us are born with a God conscience. I can prove that. Romans 1. Romans 1 says this. It says that uh, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God, but they worshiped the creature rather than the creator. Because that which is known about God was evident in them because God made it evident to them. So, so, so Paul's life before Christ, he had a God conscience, but he was running after the wrong God. Oh, come on, somebody. Do you remember your pursuits? Do you remember the God that you served before you served Jesus? Come on, somebody. Do you remember how that God treated you? Do you remember how zealous you were when you were serving that God? That's what Paul is saying. He's using his testimony here. 
And what he's doing is he's testifying. Now, when he says that he was brought up in this city, educated under Gamil. Now, let me tell you who Gamil was. Gamil was a renowned teacher of the law. He was the leading teacher of the law at that time. So, even though Paul was learning the law, which is the word of God, He didn't know Jesus. And oftentimes, that's the problem with most people. They have a God that they imagine, but not the God of the Bible. They're trying to serve somebody, but they won't serve Jesus. And that's the defining factor in everyone's religion, all these religions. The Bible says no one can come to the Father Unless they go through the what? The son. Why is Jesus so important? Because he's the one that ushers us into the presence of the almighty God. Jesus is the one that transforms us. I cannot go through Allah to get to, to, I I don't know where where I'm going to go with Allah. I can't go through Confucius. I can't go through Krishna. I cannot go through Joseph Smith. I cannot go with Jehovah Witness because here's the thing. They don't believe that Jesus is God. And that's what Paul was testifying to, that I never believed in God, in Jesus. But I was zealous for God. Look what he says. He says he was zealous for God. This man knew the word of God, the law. He was so good at the law, right, that he never practiced it. That's what you call religion. There are a lot of people that can quote Bible verse and scripture verses, but they ain't living a piece of it. Know why? Because they're zealous for the wrong thing. And in your testimony, don't be ashamed to share about where your experience is and where God has brought you from. Some of us are ashamed. Some of us are ashamed to say we were crackheads and dope fiends and all kinds of stuff. Don't be ashamed of that. That's your story. That's where God brought you from. And if God didn't find you there, you wouldn't be here today. And for some of us who never been through that, we were still screwed up. We were just screwed up on another level. We were intellectually screwed up. (laughs) Amen. Morally drained. Amen. Paul says, verse 4, look what he says in verse 4. He says, I persecuted this way to the what? Binding and putting both what? Men and women into what? Prison. As also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify from them, I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners 
To what? So what is Paul, what is Paul saying? He was a persecutor of, of Christians. He was the one that would put Christians to death. Now watch this. I don't know what you're living for. But I hope you're living for more than just nine to five and a roof over your head. There is something greater to live for. And that is to be a servant of God. That is to share your faith. To go out and reach someone and say, listen, listen, this is what I used to do. I used to steal from the church. <laughs> I used to commit, you know, I used to kill Christians. You know, that's what he's saying here to them. Look at verse 6. He says, but it happened. Now see, he's given his testimony. That as I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime. Now, may I tell you something? This had been some 10, 15 years later. And all I'm trying to tell you about your testimony is that never forget what the Lord has done for you. Never forget where he had brought you from. Never forget how he pulled you out of darkness. Oh, come on, somebody. And brought you to the glorious light. Listen, you remember that day? Do you remember that day? The text says a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus, the Nazarene of whom you are persecuting. Now watch this. Here's what's so deep about this passage. Paul, or Saul, was persecuting Christians. And Jesus is saying, when you touch one of mine, you're touching me. That's what he's saying to him. He said, hold on, what do you mean I'm persecuting you? He says, you're persecuted. And those who were with me saw the light to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And then the Lord said to me, get up, go into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that have been appointed for you to do. Let me say this. You know what's interesting about Paul's testimony? He keeps telling this testimony. I can show you a whole bunch of other scriptures that shows you where he keeps telling his testimony just like this. And he tells it in detail each time. Now watch this. God has appointed all of you to be a witness for him. He really has. The question is, why are we so silent? 
And I know that, you know, I know that I'm not, I'm, listen, all I'm, tell, all I'm asking you to do is to tell your story. Now, anybody want to give it a try tonight? To tell your story in 30 seconds? Thirty seconds. That's how long it takes for a commercial. You ever notice in a commercial you get everything in thirty seconds? You can get it in a minute. But can you tell your story? Anybody here want to take the challenge tonight to tell your story? Thirty seconds. Tell your story. Like Paul. Paul says, I persecuted. I was a sinner. I was persecuting the saints. I grew up, I grew up under the feet of Gamil. But one day I was going down Damascus, boom. Jesus got hold of me. And then he sent me to Damascus to tell me what to do. That's the nutshell story. I'm saved. And here I am living for him now. Come on. Come on up here and tell your story. Come on up here. Where's the mic at? 30 seconds. All right, I want somebody to put a clock on. Not you. I don't want you to count. Ready? Let's clock her. Come on. Tell your story. Okay, everybody has a testimony. Um, I guess all I can say right now is thank God that I didn't have to go through a lot of craziness. Um, all I can say at the beginning, elementary school, I remember days that um, I couldn't stand or was, I was fearful to stand in front of people, even in my seat. I wouldn't open my mouth. I wouldn't speak. So I guess that's why I was so grateful to be before the church uh-oh, the timer is on. I was grateful to be before the church because I know it was only God. Um, and I mean, coming from Chicago, moving here to Houston, my whole fifth grade year, I don't think I opened my mouth once. I guess they, they were like, was, is that girl mute? What is wrong with her? Um, but just living here with our family, uh, my cousins, they all they had their boyfriend and everything, but Andrea, I ain't had nobody. I guess I didn't open my mouth. I ain't talk, so. But I just had that desire. I want to have me a little man, too. Um, when I got that man, I was too afraid to let him go, so I almost thought I couldn't live without him. <laughs> so, um, and he was not well. He didn't do what he needed to do. We weren't all in the church. We were dropping it like it's hard, so um, partying, drinking, my children here, huh, no, <laughs> they say, what a woman doing drinking a 40 ounce, shoot, I love me some 40s, but um, I don't know, that married life just turned me upside down, so um, it just, when you get with another person that have problems, you have problems, your life's um, all screwed up, you just, um, you have no one to run to. I could just remember worshiping 
in um, my our town home and uh, just asking God to help help me, help me, help me. I remember days of being locked up in the restroom and just not wanting to hear a talk or just crying my heart out and not knowing what to do. Um, and then uh, that day, uh, I guess when our family members uh, passed away is when I really said, oh, I better get this right. So that's what really turned my life around because I said, one day that will be me. And I do want to go home to Jesus. So keep going. Ain't nothing else. The story. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I gave myself back to Christ uh, when uh, <laughs> when we went to seminary, when we were in seminary. But that big day, I mean, I know someone did tell me, if you don't remember that day, you must not be saved. But I didn't have that big knockdown um, the oil on me and just fell out. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Come on. Tell your story. Story time. Those of you who have not shared yet. Amen. That's good. That's good. And that's a good look because not everybody was a drug addict, not everybody was, the, you know what I mean? And so you could tell, you went over 30 seconds, but it's okay. We, we were going to give you a little bit of room, amen? Come on, tell your story, amen? Who else want to tell your story? Testify, get in the habit of learning how to testify in front of people so that when God gives you an opportunity, amen, you can be able to tell it. Come here, Sister Johnson, come on, Sister Williams, and tell your testimony. We've been waiting for you to, Tell your testimony. 30 seconds. Hmm, you just got all comfortable in church. My, my, my. Come on. Tell your testimony. Come on. How I came to Christ. Hmm. I was in the world. Deep. Love partying. Just love partying, love getting high, love drinking. Uh, but I grew up in church. I had to go to church. Didn't understand it, was there, faithfully there, like I'm faithfully here, but only now I'm really into church. Um, as I got older, still was in church, but it seemed like none of the pastors were able to keep my attention. I had a, it, it, it just, I wasn't grasping it. I kept trying, though. Um, something happened to me one day. I, um, I had a boyfriend. He, he was a dope dealer. And um, I used to hang out in a dope house with him while he sold his dope. Dope house got robbed. Um, he had a pit, a pit bull. The robbers came in, um, they knew, it was somebody that he knew, and they came in and had, um, two of them had sawed off shotguns. And I was in there, my little friends, we were in there, you know, we dating a little dope dealer, thought we had it going on. And um, they said, and I didn't realize it, but it stuck with me. They said, if this dog barks, 
We're going to blow y'all's brains out. And uh, still didn't understand. I said, okay, well, you know, got through that. Didn't know it was God, though. But I was still going to church and still trying to do the right thing. And my daughter, Shamika, was in church. And she kept saying, Mama, you got to come to my church. You got to come to my church. I said, I'm coming, I'm coming. And finally one day I did come. And I started listening to Pastor. And that attention, he got my attention. It was important to me what he was saying. I was understanding what he was saying. And I just kept coming and I kept coming and I started feeling different. I started doing different things. I didn't want to re be around those people no more. I didn't want to get high no more. I didn't want to drink no more. Just, I didn't know what was happening, but I was changing. God, God got my attention and he was working on me, and he's still working on me. And I can say that I am becoming the godly woman that God had purpose in my life. Boy, that's powerful. I never shared that story with anyone, not even my mom. Amen. Come on. So, so look at this. As we close tonight, <laughs> testimonies are important. It puts, it makes God real. Now, when you tell your story, though, I want you all to start telling about how you accepted Christ. See, so because you accepted Christ and I baptized you, right? Amen. Because you may have been in church, but you wasn't saved. All right, and there are a lot of people that's like that today. They're in church. They're, they're in the choirs. They're on the usher board. They're in church, but they're not saved. And so while telling your story, tell how Jesus came into your heart. Tell the moment that you accepted him and you, you said, the, said the prayer of salvation, which you have. Uh, Sister Andrew, you were rededicated. You rededicated your life. Uh, or if even if you wasn't saved, you got, I know you got saved at seminary. I know that much. You and your mom. And that's when I saw change in your life. And here's the thing. With everybody here, it was when you accepted Christ that the change began. When you had a personal encounter like Paul with Jesus. See, so with your testimony, one of the things it says there, it has... Authority, that's what you want to put there, that fill in the blank. It has authority. Number two, it communicates. Your testimony communicates. Number three, it relates. All right, it has authority. It communicates, it relates. Let me tell you what else it is. It's powerful. Now, I'll never forget your testimony. 
I'll never forget your testimony. I'll never forget your testimony. Or Sister Johnson's testimony. Who else testified? Sister Hunt, did you testify? Well, we shared. That one time we shared, you know. Right? Right. No, the, the, remember the, the, the time we had, I told you to turn to your neighbor and do the, share your testimony with somebody else and have them share it back. So you are now equipped. All right? So the last lesson that I have to teach you on next week is how to share the gospel. That's it. We're ready. But I want you to use your testimony. Man, your story is important. Come on and testify then, sister. Come on and testify. Let's, 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 get, that, let's get that testimony. I want to hear your testimony. Come on. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Don't be ashamed. I don't even know why I just raised my hand. Um, before Christ, I was a mess. And I can honestly say that I think that God had been trying to get my attention for a long time. God, excuse me. Um, in high school, one day I caught myself skipping with some friends. You know, they were smoking and stuff. Got into a real bad car accident. Don't even know how I made it to the hospital. I just woke up there. I don't even remember the accident at all. But of course, young and dumb, didn't give God any credit. I wasn't even thinking about God back then. It wasn't until, you know, growing up, got my jobs, got my promotions, I always thought I did that. So I was very, very, a very proudful, proudful person. Um, everything from cars to jobs to anything, I always said, I did that. I got myself here. It wasn't until I was in a career for about five years to where I stepped out on my marriage. I lost myself. I almost lost my family. You know, I failed out in college. It wasn't until that time that I realized that, you know, something's wrong with you. And that's okay. It wasn't until I was able to say my faults, my wrongs, actually confess to God and realize that God was the only one that could step in and fix it. There was nothing that I can do at that time. It was no longer you. It was, I, I realized your pride, that's not important. You need God. You can't do this. It wasn't until I put my health, my husband's health in jeopardy. You know, that you realize you need God. I got on my knees, I prayed, called Sister Hunt, and God did answer. It didn't take him two days. Right then and there, when I broke down, God answered, and he said, you have to tell the truth. I told the truth, talked to my husband, and I was okay. I was going to lose my family, but I was okay. 
once I came to Christ, I'm a different person. I can honestly say that. I can stand here and say that I'm not perfect. I still have an attitude that God is still trying to work out. I know I'm not perfect. But I do know that God was the only person that could fix or step in into my life at that time. The gospel. This is all I've been trying to say to you. All of us got something, y'all. We, we all came from the bottom. But the cross. Now they have a good marriage. Come on, somebody. I know it ain't perfect. But they have a good marriage. And it's only because of the power of the cross in Jesus Christ that will cause you to forgive. All of us have something that we have done that we're not proud of, you know, and this is why, listen, if the, the, we say the Vision Church is a church of healing. A life-giving church. I believe the world needs to know that. It took 12 disciples to spread the gospel around the world. That's all it took. And that's all it's going to take. Tell your story. Don't be ashamed to tell what God has done for you. When you leave here tonight, think about his goodness. Think about where you were to where you are now. And, and listen, know this, that it is real. And watch what God does. Try it this week. Try it this week. Try telling, listen, you know what? Let me, let me come see a man. Come to my church. Come and see. Come hear the word of God. Come hear what, listen, and you're talking to people every day. A lot of us are dealing with people every day that are in total depravity, that's broken, that's hurting. Bring them to the well where that woman met Jesus. Bring them and watch what God does for them. Amen. Give God a hand clap of praise.